Hi, I'm Mark Scott, Secretary of the New South Wales Department of Education, and welcome to Every Student, the podcast where I get to introduce you to some of our great leaders in education. And I'm here today with two leaders in our New South Wales Department of Education. Georgina Harrison, who's Deputy Secretary of People and System Performance, and Jane Simmons, Executive Director, Continuity of Education. And Jane and George are both working with the COVID-19 Task Force, and we're going to be talking about the continuity of learning. Welcome to you both. Thanks, Mark. We're sitting here at Parramatta, appropriately socially distanced, and the day we're recording this is the day that we're really uh, opening our schools up for one day a week for our students, even though we've been open uh, uh, throughout the COVID-19 disruption. Now, you've both been working closely on the department's response to the COVID-19 crisis, and for the first few weeks, George, you headed up the task force. Um, The big focus was on continuity of learning. Can you uh, talk about why we thought that was so important and the initial steps we put in place around continuity of learning? Sure. So I think uh, for all of us, education is an essential cornerstone of our community. Uh, It's so important for us that our students, throughout the disruption we could see coming, wouldn't lose the momentum in their education. Kindergarten students who have just started school, year seven students who have just started high school. We wanted to make sure they could continue to learn. Uh, We wanted to make sure they could stay connected to their school and their community. And we wanted to make sure that we could take uh, an interest and understanding of their well-being through uh, through that time. And so Jane and her team established a continuity of education team who have been working tirelessly to build the resources to help our teachers because the other thing we knew was our workforce would have to adapt and do something differently uh, which mean we meant we needed to go and look at how we could support them to do that and Jane you worked uh, exceptionally hard with a very talented group of professionals in the organisation to pull together that assistance for our teachers. Yeah we certainly did George we had a team that really got in and realised that we needed to create a backbone that was going to be able to support our teachers in the field, a backbone that had advice around how to deliver learning online. We had professional learning available as part of that, you know, online professional learning. And we pulled together resources from right across the department, resources from our distance education schools and resources from, you know, other schools right across the system. We were able to build a backbone in a really quick time frame. Yes, George, it was a week we were able to build that time, that, that backbone for our system. Yeah, I mean, that is the remarkable thing, I think, mm. about our experience with COVID-19, the speed on which, you know, we had to move quickly. And, you know, while when Term 1 started, you know, there was noise out of China and there were policy decisions being made around the return of international students. But to really go in a matter of weeks to thinking through, we could suffer significant disruption and then a very short period of time from that, really having the vast majority of our kids learning from home. I mean, we did, um, we've had long experience with distance education and correspondence education, but part of the opportunities that came here was taking advantage of digital uh, technology. So um, how did you think through equipping our staff to be able to teach remotely and teach students from home? What were the challenges we had to deal with there? Mark, the challenge we had was we wanted to be, be able to you know, put a device in the hand of students. We also needed to upskill teachers really quickly around the use of some of our online platforms. We leveraged off the professional learning that we already had in train. So there was professional learning we had in train. We built on that. It was professional learning that was available in real time, but it was also recorded so people could you know, learn around go- about Google. They could learn about Microsoft. 
and utilise that learning to actually help inform their decisions about what, what learning would look like in the classroom. So how do we you know, build the capacity of teachers really quickly? We gave a, put a lot of advice up on the system. We built a, you know, not just a few days of professional learning, it was ongoing. So for example, uh, even during the school holidays, after the first couple of weeks of, of learning online, we had teachers around seven, seven eight, 9,000 teachers every day undertaking professional learning so they could learn more about how to use you know digital the digital learning platforms yeah I mean I, I used to visit schools and ask school principals what percentage of your teachers really use technology um, to transform the way teaching and learning took place and I think often principals would say you know around about 30 percent there were some very innovative early adopters of all this but there were plenty of other teachers probably teachers of my generation for whom, whom could find some of it quite intimidating, but everybody is really needed to get on board with a professional development uh, program here. Yes, they certainly have. We've got examples of schools where every teacher has been delivering online. Uh, they've utilised some of their own platforms that they might have developed locally. For example, you know, there's a school which is, um, Carrington Public School is a, a small K-6 school up in Newcastle. Uh, with around 120 students in the school and they've created their own learning from home hub where they've dedicated pages for each teacher they've got google platform, google forms embedded in the in the system they've got a weekly timetable that that's there to guide parents about what what the week looks like and in that system the teachers uploaded instructional videos so that's an example of a school that's really gone completely online then you've got other schools that realised that you know there was there was not ac equitable access for students so they utilised other ways which was you know learning packs you know delivered learning packs design learning packs so teachers have really thought through what's going to work in their local context and we were really conscious of that mark when we were putting everything up on our system we knew that there were some schools where there was limited internet access or the students wouldn't have access to a device easily and so on so we wanted to make sure that we were able to meet the needs of the 2200 public schools in our system yeah and so I was out in some schools and where in a sense distance learning was almost more traditional in some respects you know photocopies of materials being done packs of materials being picked up and dropped off by parents uh, but we had to cater for for all the range of our students George what insights do you think we've got about the technology demands that we face and particularly uh, I suppose the differences that exist in the technology platforms in students homes so it's been a uh an incredible insight we've had into the lives of our students and those of our teachers. I think the thing that has um, astounded me through this process is the passion and commitment our staff have shown in getting to grips with that new technology. Uh, those that might have been nervous with it beforehand really uh, throwing themselves in and really getting to grips with it quickly and becoming the experts so they can support those families at home. Uh, we've really seen challenges in families where, of course, who has five computers if you've got three children and suddenly everyone in the house needs to use whatever devices you have. So I think we've really seen the pressure of the um, pandemic as it has rolled through the community play into those home lives that our students are uh, trying to learn within. We've seen that access to devices has been a real issue in many of our communities, but we've also seen our schools come up with lots of different ways to deliver support. We've managed to secure lots of extra devices and we've worked really hard to get those out to those students who need them most. So year 12 students really wanted to make sure that they weren't disadvantaged because they couldn't access the school computers. Uh, so we managed to purchase them, get them to schools in a priority order and we continue to work that through. But really what we've found is that um, 
we've really got to think about at the moment the context the student learning is happening in and that that is going to need to be flexible it means that there are some times when students and families are working uh, through the school day but then picking up some things outside the school day uh, and so I think that kind of the fluidity of the day across everyone's lives has been a real insight for us as we think about what that might mean uh, moving forward. Yeah let, let me just come back to the technology and then I want to talk, talk about what we've learned about how children are learning from home. Um, I saw that lots of our schools, you know, who had, you know, schools which had computers at or tablets, uh, would be sending those devices home. So what have we got in the schools? But it was an, an insight that someone shared. Very hard to do with a desktop computer. A lot easier to do with a, a tablet or a laptop. And so I think it may even influence our purchasing strategies uh, in the future. That that. Um, in a way, I think we've been very focused on devices at school and have thought less around devices at home to supplement learning at school and whether, in fact, we'll have strategies that come into place that say, actually, we are purchasing for schools, recognising that there'll be this movement of these devices to home and back uh, far more often in the future. Uh, so I think it's um, it's been an interesting cycle because governments have previously done specifically that investment of a laptop for every child and I think the way we used to buy things meant they went out of date very quickly and we were stuck with hardware. But with new leasing arrangements and different ways of operating we've managed to explore during this process, I think it's a real opportunity for us to think about how we do supplement that learning at home uh, and how we make it easier for every child to access the wealth of resources available to them. Yeah, we've learnt from this that there are certain devices and that, that meet you know various needs of students. So whether you're in kindergarten or in year 10, there might be different device that meets different needs. So for example, an iPad is really more suitable for the primary school age than it is for high school because of the nature of the learning. So one of the things that we also know is that you need a certain specifications of devices as well. It's not, you just can't use a, a basic uh, laptop device. You need a device that's actually going to be able to work with our, you know, a Google suite with our, within our Microsoft um, 365. Also, be able to use Zoom and also some of the other platforms that schools are using and the newly acquired platforms that we've got that enabling learning to occur. So you need the right specifications. That is also going to be robust enough to to be able to move between the school and home and also allow students to have a successful learning experience because it's like all things, if you don't have the right tools, you're not going to be able to have a you know, successful experience. So I think that's really going to set us up for the future around this is the specification we need for this to be successful in the home. One of the things I think we learnt in those few weeks of term one, as every school in a sense just went out and tried to set this up themselves, was, was a sense of, well, what is the right amount of work? For students at home, and and I think particularly for those in the uh, the more junior years, stages one and two, I think we came to a view that said, well, you know, um, a good day's work may not be a solid six days in front of six hours in front of the screen. What did we learn about almost like the the load that we should be providing uh, for students in those early years? Look, we learned very very quickly in the first week. There were some schools that got feedback from their parent community to say that you provided too much work. And, you know, I've heard examples of schools where, even secondary schools, students were working from, you know, several hours a day. In fact, I know of a school that, that undertook a survey with the community and they got feedback that the students were doing more learning online than their parents were actually working online at the same time. So we knew that there was that, that 
I guess that sense of you know cognitive overload we're providing too much so then some schools particularly primary schools started to look at the second week I can think of some schools that really looked at you know maybe a couple of hours a day online and then the rest can be you know sort of a more blended experience so started to give uh, more advice around what that that whole uh, week should look like and we backed that up with the support and materials that we provided on our our website around you know what the the timetable could look like for the week so we learnt really quickly that too much work was too much for students to engage with. I think the other lesson that came out of that was just how important the partnership with parents and mm. the school community is uh, and so those schools that have managed that really well are the schools that were going and communicating with their, with their local community about how the students were going and so I think we've really seen how important uh, that relationship is and where it's working well it works exceptionally well so you can balance and adjust quickly to the needs of young people. I think the other work we did to really try and supplement that and support both our teachers and families at home was the work you uh, were involved in, Jane, with the ABC and then in getting those extra lessons available for people to engage in. You might want to share a bit of that. Yeah, thanks, George. Uh, look, the ABC initiative has, has been a great initiative because you've got you know a schedule of ABC programs that are accessible for everyone who has access to a television. So, you know, that, and that's accessible for, you know, K to 10. So it meets the needs of a large number of our students. And we worked with the ABC and we also worked with Victoria Education System to design some resources to support that education program. We haven't done that before. And that's been a great initiative and that's something that, that will be there for a long time. You'll have the programs and they'll be sitting in the, in the archives, I guess, with ABC, but we'll also have those resources to be able to support that. And we've, we've had really positive feedback about that. So there was something that was online, but also something else that was part of that ABC initiative. Yeah, I, I'm, and I'm hopeful that will continue afterwards. If, if you go back a generation or more, schools programming was a big part of what the ABC did. And if you're of my generation, you'll remember watching schools programming during classes or it being recorded and uh, played back later. But I think they've had a huge response to it. And to work closely with our curriculum, um, to have great resources available online, I think has really been a terrific um, national partnership uh, around that kind of uh, initiative. Um, what did we learn about um, the kind of support that parents need to make learning from home um, as successful as it can be? So I think the first thing is that we just, uh, it's been really important that we've acknowledged the stresses parents have been under during this time. It hasn't been uh, come and have your uh, child learning from home while you do nothing else. For many of our parents, they are working from home. They're under the additional stress and anxiety the community has felt through this, uh, through this pandemic. And so we've needed to really think about that from the parents' perspective. Um, I think our parents have seen an incredible insight into the work of our profession and in the work of teachers. Um, I don't think you'll find a parent who really thinks they're doing all the teaching. Um, they know that they're getting quality resources from school, that all of that thinking and preparation has gone in beforehand. Um, but they have seen that um, keeping the focus of a child, keeping them engaged and uh, concentrating on their learning is a, is a task in itself uh, on top of then providing the uh, resources and education content uh, for them to engage in. So I think our parents have had an incredible insight into us uh, through that process and into the work of schools and I think that's an incredibly positive benefit to come out of this time. 
Um, I think we've seen our parents uh, sometimes challenged by that. You certainly see it on social media and you see it coming through, certainly in the mums groups that I'm a part of, the how on earth are we going to manage this for another week narrative plays through. Uh, And so I think it will be interesting to see how parents respond as we have this managed return to school. I think you'll see... Uh, parents really delighted that their student, their children can get back into the classroom, really appreciative of the work teachers are doing to make that possible. Yeah, I'm struck at, at you know, some of the commentary we've seen in recent days. Just, I, I think this hiatus has just demonstrated how important school is for kids, how excited you know, kids are to be back, to see their teachers, to see their peers, to engage in the importance of the classroom learning experience. And, you know, and I think things that we once took for granted that we value, um, one is the school experience, and the one, other one is the extraordinary expertise and wisdom of teachers in crafting learning experiences um, uh, every day. Um, there's been a bit of debate around HSC students uh, we've, we've done research to look at, at what the provision is for HSC students um, and even though they're not back full time, we're seeing in many schools that are, are engaged with them three or four days a week these next couple of weeks. Yeah, so I don't think there's been a single one of our high schools that hasn't been focused on their year 12 cohort and really conscious of the impact of this disruption for them in a sense above others uh, as they face this crucial year of schooling. And so as our schools have been planning for the return, Many had already been giving some access to their Year 12 students to come in, complete works, uh, to have uh, engagement with teachers in a variety of ways. And certainly as our schools have responded to the managed return, they've really put a focus on how do we get every student back, but how do we create that bit more room for our Year 12s? How do we create that little bit of extra space uh, so they can come in and... um, uh, and continue with their learning and get the support they need. And it's been incredible to see the varying ways schools have done that, from adjusting the whole timetable, a feat in itself in a school, a high school context, to have just the morning uh, for the day a week and then keeping afternoons clear for years 11 and 12 to come in and engage with their teachers. And we've just got a whole array of various ways staff have uh, sought, schools and staff have sought to engage that cohort. And, and I think, you know, we'd be hoping that by the time they're 17 or 18, our year 12 students are most equipped to have, in a sense, responsibility for their learning in a way the disrupted approach they've had in recent weeks is, you know, if many of them go on to higher education, it's gonna be more of the model that they're operating in next year. And uh, whether in class or working at school or working at home, we hope there's a good structured learning plan in place for all of them. Uh, Jane, you know, you've, you've been a school principal and a very experienced educator, what advice would you be giving to year 12 students and parents of year 12 students given given the disruption and given where we are now? I think what we've done with year 12 um, in particular, you know, NESA have provided some flexibility around how the curriculum can be delivered, um, well, particularly, you know, around the assessment and that there's certainly flexibility locally. You take the advice from the, the, the teachers, there's a lot of uh, differentiation occurring in schools, secondary schools. You know, they've they've arranged the day so that students can start later. So they've got, you know, students have got time in the morning. So utilise the time probably they've got. You know, where the schools have arranged for tutorial type of experiences with the teacher, I think that's a great initiative because that's that's setting themselves up for that sort of one-on-one sort of interaction and utilise those opportunities. So if the school has set up a time for a student to be involved in a one-on-one experience with a teacher, with 
social dif- distancing, of course, th- that utilise that opportunity rather than, you know, make sure that you do go. I think the way that schools have started to think about the different needs of the different courses and the different requirements within those courses is that allowing that differentiated approach I think is a great opportunity for students to engage differently and I think we're setting them up Mark for a future where you might not have year 12 at school every day every week it might be something different that is really going to position them for for tertiary education because tertiary education is going to go that way as well so utilizing those the time that's there and of course you've got you know, make sure you, you get everything done on time, but we've also got reduced assessment times as well. I mean, it's interesting. I, I sit on this NESA subcommittee that looks at how the HSC is going to run this year. And when we first met six or seven weeks ago, um, I think we would have thought there'll be no major works. We'll have disruption all the way through term two and probably into term three. And I think we could have thought that the HSC itself was unlikely uh, to be to have exams. I think there's great benefit for HSC students, the way that the community has responded to social distancing, the dramatic reduction in COVID-19 cases. And even though it feels like it's been difficult, it's good to remember that it's still early May. Those exams don't actually start till October. Uh, and there'll be lots of, and, and to a degree, Yes, it's been disruptive, but everyone's been disrupted. Now we've just got to get onto it. And I, I think one of the things I'm encouraging HSC students, it's always an anxious year, but don't add anxiety to anxiety. You can do this. This is going to be okay. Just remain focused on the challenge at hand. Do what you can do, and it's going to work out okay. And I actually think it's going to be quite a good year to be an HSC student uh, trying to go to university, if that's what you're interested in, because. Um, there are going to be fewer international students. Universities are going to be desperate to get good students in, and I think there are going to be um, great offers on place for this year's Year 12 students who will be well-equipped uh, to go on to that kind of activity. Let's move to things that I never thought we'd have to discuss. Toilet paper, sanitizer, and all these, the, the massive logistical effort that we've had to get our schools ready again uh, to open up. Now, George, uh, you were involved in, you know, warehouses and trucks and distribution uh, supply chain management. Um, how did all that come about? And, and talk a little bit about that challenge. So I think, Mark, in the first instance, we were, as the COVID-19 pandemic broke and we were looking at the impact on schools, the first thing we wanted to do was keep the doors open fully for as many students as possible for as long as possible. Um, and we certainly didn't want, um, as the market supplies of soap across Australia dried up, for it to be a lack of soap that was the thing that meant our schools couldn't continue to operate. That wasn't the thing we would ever have wanted to be, the thing that closed doors. Um, and so we got imaginative. We started securing soap where no one else uh, was going. So we took the hotel soap, um, not the thing our schools would have ever thought they'd be putting out in their bathrooms. But very clearly, if soap was going to be the thing we needed, we'd take what we could get and we'd uh, use it appropriately. Um, amazing insights into how you run um, just a distribution network from nowhere as an organization in a period of two weeks we stood up a warehouse a packing facility a distribution network to get essential supplies out to schools and not just schools to our early childhood uh, 
centres across the state too. Um, never did we think we would be sourcing nappies and baby food and shipping it out, but that, that was the need and that was the need that we needed to meet. And so what you see is the rallying of people together to come and do things differently, to find the things you need and to really focus on what it is our schools need. Um, you've always said, Mark, there are only two jobs in the department, those who teach students and those who support those who teach students. Um, and we've firmly put ourselves in that second category and done whatever it'll take uh, to get those supplies out. So we've had hundreds of corporate staff uh, turning up at warehouses, packing boxes of sanitizer. Um, we've had uh, people from across the organization when the one, uh, one package that we got notification of late Friday hadn't been delivered, got in his car um, with the sanitizer from the warehouse and drove it there so that no one would need to worry about that when they opened their doors to more students today. Absolutely clear that as the doors opened this morning, the only thing our schools should need to worry about is those students coming through their doors, uh, not whether or not they had access to the supplies they needed to operate safely. And um, if you think through how schools are going to operate in these you know, next couple of weeks as we have a stage return, what are the important things that you know school leaders are reflecting on to ensure that they've got a, you know, a safe learning environment in a pandemic world? And so I think the first thing is that we know the risk for students is really low. The transmission rates, the viral load in young people is just not the same as it has been in adults and that's what the research has been showing us from around the world and from here in New South Wales. So I think the first thing leaders are worrying about is actually how they manage for their staff how they make sure their staff can interact with each other safely, how they can make sure the adults around the school community aren't breaching that social distancing requirement uh, so that they can continue to provide the education they all want to be providing. Our teachers are so excited about having their students back in today. Um, you've seen across the state messages of how much staff have been missing uh, their students. So I know everyone's really excited to have those students back in front of them today. Um, so I think our leaders will really be worrying for how do we keep the adults appropriately social distance? How do we make sure teachers, when they want that cup of tea in their uh, much-needed break times, are able to access that cup of tea without having a gathering of everyone in a staff room? How do we make sure we're separating, separating out uh, in that way? And then I think really the routines of schools, the when do people have access to and wash your hands? When do you wipe down a desk? When am I picking something up that I just need to be conscious about? Um, as an adult, I'm really, I'm really to get conscious about things we've not thought about before will be a challenge for all of us as we move into the next phase. And so Jane, finally, I mean such a massive disruption to schooling this year at an unprecedented level. Uh, what have we learned from it and, and how will we be different on the other side? What are some insights we can draw from things we've learned over these recent weeks? I think we've learnt, we've always known this, but the relationship between a student and a teacher is a really special relationship and that's really been emphasised. We've seen that in social media, we've seen that in some of the, the things that schools have done to, to really reinforce that. And we've got examples, Mark, now where, where schools have followed up individually with students, even across the school holidays, to you know do a check-in. So there was a roster for teachers to follow up with students during the online learning period, but also during the school holidays to see how they're going. We've been able to introduce a virtual account, virtual counselling um, process where you know we've got virtual counselling like telehealth. So who would have thought we were going to do that six months ago? So that that's really a great step forward. So on the back of the bushfires, and now with 
the, the you know during the pandemic having that as an option for us around providing wellbeing support that's certainly a learning one of the things I've also noticed is that schools are doing some really unique things to engage students in a virtual virtual way so for example St Ives High School has got a, a virtual library um, a, sorry virtual art sorry a virtual art um, gallery online so you can actually go and look at their art gallery there are other schools that have got for example ride secondary college has got a well-being hub area where you can actually go and have a look at you know some examples of music you can listen to but other information you know information about you know relieving anxiety there's a you know you know connection to the, the calming app and all of those sorts of things so there's lots of different things that people are now utilizing to look at how you can engage with 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 community and I think that goes a long way to us preparing for a different way of, of how you might engage with schools you know I know of schools that have already started parent teacher interviews and and using zoom um, to to undertake that so there are different things that people are doing to engage with parents and and we're hearing that parents are enjoying that type of interaction but so are the students the students yeah. are really enjoying the fact, you know, for example, you know, there's a story of one student really loved the fact that every couple of days it was the principal ringing to see how he was travelling. Mm. So it's those sorts of things that I think really position us for schools doing things really differently on how they'll engage with community. And, and George, what are the insights? You know, it's a big department, 2,200 schools. Are there uh, system-wide learnings for us here? Uh, so I think there's a lot we'll learn and do differently uh, on the other side of this. So the first is just in the work that Jane and her team has done, how quickly we can pull together support resources for our system when we put our mind to it on a very focused effort. Um, and I think the thing that, that the questions that raises for us are how do we get those right people together in a room more often around the key things that matter to deliver those uh, resources and supports out to the system in a timely way? The focus of professional development is a real learning for us to see how quickly we have managed to transform the use of technology in our system through a dedicated, targeted effort in professional development, because that's the only thing teachers worried about learning for a period of time. Um, I think it's a really important lesson for us as we look at how we want to um, upskill teachers in different uh, different methods moving forward and making sure we get that focus right so I think that will be really important the other is about this relationship between technology and learning and how we're going to get that right we have a big IT area we have a big teaching and learning area how do we bring those together for the long term to make sure that we're really seeing and leveraging the benefits that we've seen so far Uh, because I think we've seen huge opportunity and as we look at the education for a changing world uh, initiatives that have been running from the department there's a real opportunity for us to harness those things uh, and move forward for the best interests of our students. Thanks George, thanks Jane and thanks for your leadership and tireless efforts to support our schools in recent weeks during this great disruption and thanks to all our school leaders and all who work in our school settings for the way they've put students at the centre and been committed to student learning during this time of great disruption and we're looking forward to having all our students back in our schools very soon. Thanks for joining us today on the Every Student Podcast. And thank you for listening to this episode of Every Student. Never miss an episode by subscribing on your podcast platform of choice or by heading to our website at education.nsw.gov.au slash every hyphen student hyphen podcast. Or if you know someone who is a remarkable innovative educator that we could all learn from, you can get in touch with us via Twitter at New South Wales Education, on Facebook, or email everystudentpodcast at det.nsw.edu.au.
Thanks again, and I'll catch you next time.